Well, for those of you who don't know me, every time I get up here now, there's another 20 faces, although today it doesn't look quite like that. But there's usually another 20 faces or so of people that I've never seen. So anyways, my name is Matt Scarlett, if you, if you don't know me. Uh, please open up your Bibles with me to Acts 10, as we continue on our series in the book of Acts. Acts 10. Well, friends, God's Word is always good. It is always necessary. It's always useful to train, to teach, to refine, to shape, to sanctify us. Yes and amen. We're going to experience these things no matter what time of the day or where we turn to in God's word. Yes and amen. But sometimes, sometimes we come to a text that we know this to be especially true of. Sometimes we come to a text that changes everything. And friends, Acts 10 is one of those places Right now, in the current cultural moment, we're experiencing a tremendous amount of disunity. Has anybody felt that? Anybody felt that? Yeah. There are barriers, there's obstacles that make it seem impossible for us as Christians who believe in God's word to engage with the people around us. Things have become so murky as there are seemingly less issues that we can agree on with the people we rub shoulders with. And it's worse than that, because even if we could agree on an issue, I feel like we have to define our terms so much more than we used to. The church in North America, you and I, we are feeling the distance, the gap, the extreme disconnect between us and the culture. And it wouldn't be unreasonable, maybe this is something you need to hear, it wouldn't be unreasonable in times of weakness for you to say, Lord, is it actually possible for you to reach my neighbor? Is it actually possible for you to break through the barrier of our culture? But our text this morning reminds us that this is nothing new. The church has always had barriers to break through. And in Acts 10, as we're going to see, God moved and shattered the insurmountable barrier that was the the divide but of the Jews and the Gentiles. He broke down the cultural, the religious barriers and answered this important question. Is salvation for the Jews only? God God answered it with an emphatic no. It is for everyone. Thanks be to God. The, The promise of salvation, of God restoring fellowship between himself and his rebellious creation, right? We think back to the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned and they were cast out of the garden, an angel was put there with a flaming sword and paradise was lost. Well, God promised to restore us, didn't he? Thanks be to God. In Genesis 3.15, he said, I'm going to send the seed that's going to crush the serpent's head. And with the people of Israel, God had began to do that process. But salvation was never, ever solely for the Jews. It was never solely for the Jews. It was always intended to go forth in power to everyone. That's why God promised to Abraham this. Long before there was a people of Israel, he said, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. The message that God desires to save men and women from every tribe, tongue, 
and nation was built right into the promise to Abraham. The gospel, the good news, was always meant to be shared beyond Israel's racial and physical barriers. And this morning, we are going to see how God opened wide the door for the gospel to not only go from Jew to Jew, or Jew to Samaritan, as we've seen in Acts 8, but from Jew to Gentile, breaking down every barrier that was once there. Doesn't that seem intensely and and, and immensely practical for us, right, where we are in this cultural moment? I think this is perfect for us to hear today. And God always gives us, thanks be to God, the word that we need to hear when we need to hear it. Now, with this text being as long as it is, we're going to take it chunk by chunk. But with these things in mind, hear now God's timely, holy, inspired, inerrant living and active word to us today. We're going to read Acts 10, verses 1 to 8. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. So this is a continuation of what we saw last week, right? We saw Peter last week, he had traveled further and further away from Jerusalem, right? So now Peter is in Joppa, right? Remember, he had just healed Dorcas. And now Cornelius has this this vision, and we're going to talk about that. But I just want to say, for us living in, in, in 21st century North America, it's just very easy for us to overlook the significance of this text. That's because generally speaking, we don't wake up And think about the difference between Jew and Gentile. It's not on our radar. We just go about our day. But for the early church, this was truly a groundbreaking event. Here, we have to see that God is orchestrating the next phase in the church's mission. The plan is unfolding just as Jesus said it would. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Just in Jerusalem? No, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The gospel was moving forth in power and this was another vital step in its progress. One one commentator captures this text's significance this way. He says, it deals with the decisive issue in the history of the early church, namely the recognition that the gospel is for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And it makes clear that this was no merely human decision, but that it was the result of God's clear guidance. God's driving the ship, amen? He's building his church. That's what he was doing here. That's what this text is about. God shattering the boundaries, the fences that once stood between Jew and Gentile. And as we will see this morning, he did this by bringing about Another Pentecost. 
But this time it would be different from the Acts 2 Pentecost. This time it would be the Gentile Pentecost. Now when we think back to Acts 2, that big Pentecost event, we saw that God poured out his spirit, fulfilling the prophecy found in the prophet Joel. There God had said this, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. In our text this morning, we see what appears to be another Pentecost event. God is putting his undeniable stamp of approval on what is happening in this story. The Gentiles are being brought into the kingdom, and God won't allow us to miss the fact that this is his sovereign, gracious doing. This was huge. This was unprecedented. This was groundbreaking. And in this Gentile Pentecost, the first thing we see is a Gentile called a Gentile called. Look with me again to verses 3 to 6. There we read, About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, in the Old Testament, we saw glimpses of God extending his mercy beyond the Jewish people to the Gentiles. Right? Think of Rahab the Canaanite. Remember when the walls of Jericho were coming down? Or think of Ruth the Moabite. But never quite like what we're seeing here. Cornelius was a Gentile Roman soldier. But unlike the rest of uh, the Gentiles there, he was not content to worship the idols of his culture. He was drawn to the God of the Jews. He's described as being a man who's devout. He's generous. He feared God, him and his family. Right, right. Cornelius saw something. He wasn't sure what it was, but he liked it. And he was leaning in. But he hadn't yet heard about Jesus. So God, in his sovereign grace, called to Cornelius and said, you've got to get Peter. And Peter's going to come here and he's going to tell you what you need to know. So then Cornelius is in obedience, calls some servants, says, go bring Peter to me. Now just let's stop here. Do you think that Cornelius had any clue what was going on? You ever think back to your life or you think back to movements of God and you think, man, that was like a little stone that started an avalanche. That's what was happening here. God was doing something unthinkable. He was calling the people who were on the outside of Judaism to himself. He was preparing, he was excavating the ground for a build that would not consist only of Jews and Samaritans, but of all people, including Gentiles. He was sovereignly softening the hearts of those who were going to hear the good news. Like a gardener. It's gardening season, right? Like a good gardener. God tills the ground before he plants the seed. And that is exactly what God was doing here. And friends, some of us here need to be reminded that this is how our mighty God works. Our God is already preparing our families, our neighbors, our coworkers, the strangers we run into at the gym, at the grocery store, for the conversations 
that we are going to have. I can't help but be encouraged by this. Encouraged, but also challenged. Because when we read this text, we see that our God is sovereign. And he's not waiting for us to make the first move. He's already working in people's hearts. But we need to move and follow him. Some of you maybe are like me. Um, and, and by God's grace, I would say, I, gospel conversations tend to come easy for me. Maybe there's some of you, I mean, not to single you out, Amanda, but I know that, that God has gifted Amanda to, to just be an evangelist. And there's some people like that, but even people who are like that struggle with going into a conversation because sometimes you just feel defeated. Sometimes you go into it and you're like, man, I've had this conversation before. I know how it's going to go. How many, is, how many of you have felt that? You think, Lord, I don't know if you're even working. It feels like it's just going to be another conversation like I always have where I leave discouraged. But God is moving. And, and we have to trust that he is going to work in people's lives just like he was working in Cornelius' life. You know, one, one thing happened, it happened a couple months ago. It was really cool. Uh, my parents moved out west to Alberta about eight and a half years ago. And you know, when the parents go, even though I'm a grown-up, I'm supposed to keep in contact with family, sometimes you don't. So anyways, there's some distant cousins that we have, and uh, my brother initiated a little bit of a get-together, so we went out for lunch, and I just kind of went into lunch the way I always do. I'm always praying, Lord, I just pray that you'd open the door for a gospel conversation. I didn't have really prayed that with much faith, I'll be honest. But anyways, we get there, and I'm sitting across from one of my distant cousins, and uh, she begins to tell me that her and her husband have begun to just help one of their friends out who's come under some hard times. But from being married to, to Krista, a therapist, I've become a better listener, and, I've, <laughs> and I'm more gracious, more empathetic, and I could just see in this woman's face, she was struggling. And so I just was listening to her, and I was encouraging her, saying, you know, that is just amazing that you're able to, to do this, to, to, to sacrifice for your, your friend. And... Truth be told, we did not have a gospel conversation. But the end of the conversation ended with her telling me, asking me, um, I have the book C.S. Lewis, Surprised by Joy. Have you read that? Does anybody know what that book's about? That's about C.S. Lewis telling about how he came to faith in Christ. And, you know, growing up and, and seeing this woman, I'd see her maybe once a year, I always assumed that she was just closed off to the things of God. And, and I don't know, I'm praying that God would save her. But we just don't know what God is doing. He's going before us, though. We can be certain of that. So preach the word. Be confident that when you go into that conversation, he's already moving. He's already moving. And secondly, in our, in our text, the next scene, we see a preacher prepared. Look with me to verses 9 to 23 to see how God prepared Peter for the task ahead of him. So Cornelius has seen this vision, and Peter's in Joppa, right? So it says, the next day, as they were on their journey, that is Cornelius' friends, and approaching the city, city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they, while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great, great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of reptiles, animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, 
Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen, that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. So briefly, let's just talk about why this vision is so significant, this dream. According to Jewish dietary laws found in Leviticus 11, God had declared certain animals to be unclean. How many of you were here for our Leviticus on the Lawn series? Remember that? Well, well, Peter had those texts ringing in his ears, and here he is told to kill and eat. Now, Peter, he's a good Jew, right? He would have automatically been automatically refused and said, what is this, a trap? I'm not doing that. Somebody's setting me up to fail here. But he was told three times, rise, kill and eat. And the nail in the coffin was this. What God has made clean, do not call common. So there's Peter. He's wondering, he's perplexed. He's like, what, what could this mean? This is weird. He's pondering it away up on the roof. And then the Spirit says to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Again, Peter was a good Jew. He was used to obeying Jewish dietary laws. He was careful with his dealings with the Gentiles for fear of becoming unclean. You know, think back to the early days of COVID-19, when if somebody even sneezed, coughed, what would you do? You backed up, right? He said, go home, go home. A similar thought was going through Peter's mind when he ran into a Gentile. Or when he saw some unclean food, he stayed away. But here God was showing Peter that the time of the dietary and ceremonial distinctions between the Jews and the Gentiles had come to an end. Jesus had already foreshadowed this. In Mark 7, he said this, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? And then Mark added, Thus he declared all foods clean. God says to Peter, you do not need a Jewish and a Gentile menu anymore. You can eat at the same table. Peter, you can go to Cornelius' Gentile home. You can shake his hand. You can eat the food that he sets before you. It is all good now. The wall is gone. It's been torn down. Peter needed this vision. He needed this preparation in order to accomplish his next task. He needed to have the blinders removed, and he needed to see that in Christ, the ceremonial laws, the dietary restrictions, 
the ceremonies, the sacrifice, were now all obsolete. Because in Christ, they'd been perfected and envisioned in full. They were objects lessons, friends. They were the appetizer, but Jesus is the main course. When he came, he fulfilled the law, the ceremonies, the sacrifices, and the feasts. He ushered in a new day, and right now, in that moment, Peter is being helped to understand this, and this is blowing his mind. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And friends, I would argue that this is a text. There's many texts like this in the scriptures. Thanks be to God. But I would argue that this is one where prejudices go to die. The Jews were never meant to hate the Gentiles. They were never meant to look down on them. And I want to be clear. The Jews have, have had a hard time, you know. They, that's, they get put in Egypt, and all's good, right? Right? Joseph's the prime minister. Yes, everything's good. But after that, Pharaoh passed away. They became slaves. They were enslaved for over 400 years. God rescues them, and they go to the promised land. But even then, they're surrounded by angry, hostile, Gentile nations. Then they go into exile. Then they come back, and they're still ruled over another nation. Then they're now, right now, when Peter's dealing with this thing here, at that moment, they're ruled by Rome. So I can see why. I think we can all see if we look, if we pull back a little bit, why they they had some misconceptions about their relationship to the Gentiles. But nevertheless, they were never, ever, ever meant to look down on them with disdain. They were never meant to look at the Gentiles as second-class citizens. The Jews, their lives, their distinctions from the way that they worshipped, from the God they worshipped to the way they did justice, food, family, all of it was meant to show the world that the only right way to live and find life is under the rule and lordship of Yahweh. They were meant to be a blessing. But the Jews let the false notion slip in that the Gentiles were second class. They let prejudice get the best of them. They lost sight of the mission that God had originally given to Abraham. God's heart has always been for the nations from day one. Friends, do we do the same? Do we subtly look down on people who are in another class of society? Do we look down on people of other ethnicities? Think about it. Think about how your neighborhood has changed over the last couple of years, right? Probably looks very different from what it was. I know in Barrie, Barrie's changed. Chris and I have been married nine and a half years, just, just shy of nine and a half years, and we've been in Barrie that whole time. And Barrie has changed. It looks a lot different. And we have to ask, do some of us look down, look down on the new people moving in? We, talked this, we started this morning talking about our culture. This is another thing to think about. Do we sometimes look down at our culture, our messy North American culture, with disgust? Do we sometimes look at the people around us and say, look at the mess they've made? That's what they're into now? Back in my day, 
You know, some of us do that. Oh, God, make it, don't make it so. Lord, God, make it, make us a people who cry out, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy. Because if not for the grace of God, Lord, I might be in the same boat. Now, now, now hear me. We hold to what God's word says is true. We are meant to be distinct, yes and amen. We, we, we are going to do marriage differently. We're going to do family differently. We're going to do holiness differently because we trust in God's word. Yes, yes, yes. But that does not give us the excuse to look down on the broken, confused, and rebellious culture that we are in. I would say what a glorious testimony it would be if your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members looked at you and said, you know, I know what's in their Bible. And I know that they believe some things that would make the culture shudder. But I also know that they never treat somebody as a second-class citizen. What a testimony that would be. And don't we need grace to do that? Don't we need grace to do that, to pray, Father, have mercy. Protect, protect them from going down a path that they're never going to be able to come back from. Peter needed to hear that the distinctions between Jew and Gentile were, were gone. Were gone. And maybe some of us this morning need to hear this message in order to set our hearts ablaze for the lost around us. Maybe God needs to do some prepping, some tilling in our hearts so that we would be prepared to minister to the people he's calling us to. So here, Peter, he's perplexed by the vision. He doesn't quite get it. But as we see in the story, things start to make complete sense in the third scene. There we see a sermon preached. Look with me to verse 23 to 43. The next day he arose and went with, away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, Why? Why have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. 
beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter entered this house and he did not know what he was walking into. He walks into this joy-filled Gentile gathering and he had the most eager audience that he could to hear him. One commentator says this, Peter could have had no better prepared and eager an audience than this and was quick to seize on the situation as the starting point for his address. You know, as, as Peter heard Cornelius recounting his dream, all of the pieces begin to come together. And he's like, I can't believe what God's doing here. It's done. Salvation. Like the barriers are gone. The wall's been torn down. Salvation is for anyone who believes. Jew and Gentile. There's no more distinction. So what does Peter do? He preaches the gospel. And does he preach a different gospel? Does he preach a different gospel? No, he preaches the same gospel that was preached to the Jews in Acts 2. Why? Because the same gospel that saved all of those Jews was the same one that was going to save these Gentiles. Thanks be to God. So what did they hear? They heard that Jesus is the bringer of peace. Jesus is the one who has come to restore the peace that was lost back in Genesis 3. He came to reconcile us Back to God. In Jesus' life, he, he, he performed miracles, right? He healed the blind, the paralyzed. He raised the dead. He casted out demons, all demonstrating that he was ushering in peace between God and man. And then he died and he rose again, right? Peter says to, you, to the Gentiles, you need to know that the first Easter was a real thing. Jesus truly died and truly rose again. His life, the perfect, sinless, full of righteousness life, was was crucified on our behalf. In his death, he bore our sins. He drank the wrath of God. He he took all of our sins, the minor sins, the awful sins, every single thing that we've done and are going to do. Jesus paid for them all on the cross. And why can we trust that his sacrifice why, why can we trust that it is enough? Because after three days, God powerfully raised him to life, declaring, it is done. Sins are, your sins are gone, thanks be to God. And then Peter says, and this Jesus who's at the Father's right hand right now is coming again. He's coming again. And when he does, he is going to judge the living and the dead. And at that moment, every single knee is going to bow as they see him in his glory, as they see him in his power, in his majesty. 
Everyone will bow, either in adoration, in worship, in love, or in fear, knowing they rejected him. I think that needs to be said. Sometimes we forget about that part in the gospel, don't we? Jesus is going to come to judge the living and the dead. The gospel is not something that we can just say, yeah, it's a good idea for you. Yeah, if that works for you, yeah, go for it. No, the gospel is our life. It's our rescue. It's our only hope. That's what Peter preached, friends. That's the gospel. It's what Cornelius and his household needed to hear. It's what you and I need to hear. It's the announcement that brings lost, dead, hopeless men and women, boys and girls, into life everlasting. Thanks be to God. I would just say that I think I was really struck as I was studying this because, again, as I said, Peter doesn't change or edit the gospel for the, for the Gentiles. Did you catch that? I mean, you, if you're Peter, you're probably thinking, ooh, okay, if God is going to bring the Gentiles in, he's going to have to modify it. He's going to have to do some things here so that they can come in because it can't be the same one that we've believed in. But that is not the case The same gospel that saved the Jews is going to save the Gentiles. And we need to hear that because if we are honest, sometimes don't we dull the gospel? Right? We file down some of its edges. We say, you know what? For this person, we need to make it a little bit more culturally relevant. Right? We need to water down that, oh, you know what? I'm going to just erase that part. I'm going to add something here, and that's going to make it better. They, they'll maybe be okay with that. Has anybody ever felt that, the inclination to do that? If we're honest, we all feel that tendency. But this text reminds us, friends, that we just have to preach Jesus, the Son of God, truly God, truly man, the one who lived in our place, the one who died in our place, the one who rose again, and who was interceding for us, and who's coming again. That is what your coworker, who has a totally different past and outlook on life than you, needs to hear. That's what your neighbor, who seems so closed off to anything to do with church or anything to do with the Bible, needs to hear. That's what the addict needs to hear. That's what the the white-collar businessman or woman needs to hear. The same gospel. The same gospel. Before Peter got to Cornelius' house, God was working. He was working in the vision he gave to Cornelius as he called him. He was working in the vision he gave to Peter, preparing him for his task. And he was working as Peter preached the word to this house of Gentiles. And what happened? Fourthly, in this Gentile Pentecost, we see a people brought in. Look with me to verse 44 to the end of our text. While Peter was still saying these things, The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is the end. This is the climax of 
this all-important Gentile Pentecost. As Peter preached the word, the room full of Gentiles heard the gospel, believed. And in that moment, just as it happened back in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit opened the hearts and the minds of these believers. And they put their trust in Christ. And they received the Spirit just as Peter and the early church did. The Gentiles were recipients of the same Spirit. And Ezekiel's prophecy was coming true in them just like it had in Acts 2. There we read, and this is from Ezekiel, I, that is God speaking, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your, be your God. As Peter has seen this, he goes, he's looking around at the Jews who are with him, right? And he's going, can you believe this is happening? Well, we've got to get him baptized. So there you had the first Gentiles in the early church hearing, believing, receiving the Spirit, being baptized. The wall was torn down, and God had revealed that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord would be saved. Paul said this in Ephesians 2, but now... Anytime you see but now, you, you stop. You just put an underline in your Bible. But now. In Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That is, you who were Gentiles on the outside have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What happened in Acts 10? People like you and I, Gentiles, heard the gospel, believed, were brought into the family of the God. The early church learned that Jesus would truly build his kingdom and nothing would stop him. His gospel would go forth and transform the world, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He's still going to do that today, friends. And as we close, you know, I think for us, you know, appropriating this text in our lives, I really do believe that we need to ask the hard questions. Say, Lord, and I believe some, God's probably already doing this in some of you right now, but we need to ask, Lord, is there, is there a barrier in my heart? Is there, is there a people that I just <clears throat> struggle to love? The, the North American culture that I'm part of, the speak your truth, go your way, do your thing, culture too far gone in your minds? Peter needed to hear this important word. The early church needed to hear that there would be no distinctions. The gospel that saved the Jews is going to save the Gentiles. The gospel that saved you, brothers and sisters, is going to save the people that you're preaching it to. The early church would have felt the same. They would have been worried, how, how is this going to happen? How is the gospel going to go forth? But friends, God's promises never, ever, ever fail. He said he would build his kingdom, and he will. The gospel will go forth to all peoples. His name will be hallowed, worshipped, loved, and adored. Do you believe that? Do you long for that? Oh Lord, make it so in each of us, for his glory, for our good, and for the good of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we, we just acknowledge, Lord, that, that your ways are so grand. Your plans are so much bigger than we could ever imagine. Your ways are so much higher than our ways. Who would have thought, Lord, that you could take the gospel to the Gentile people, that you could break down the hostility that was there, that you could make us one? Who would have thought that? But that is what you do, Lord. That's what you've done. And, oh God, we pray that we would be filled with awe, with worship, with adoration for you and for the ways that you work. Lord, we pray that you would break down in our hearts, in the church's heart collectively, anything, Lord, that would keep us from preaching the word to people. And we pray, Lord, that you would take our faithful preaching, take our faithful prayers, take our faithful kind works, and bring men and women from Aurelia and beyond to yourself. Oh God, make this our passion. Make this our joy. For your name's sake, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, friends. Amen.